You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Our relations team next week, and then the week after that, property team, and Pastor Landon is going to... Uh, um, he drew the, the short straw. Um, no, I'm just kidding. He's going to do that. I, I just came to him the other day and said, would you handle property team only because I'm feeling a little, little tired and, uh, since my, my time in the surgery. And so I just need a, a week to kind of recover, um, to get back on my feet. And so I pray that that will be a good week for you to, uh, to hear from Pastor Landon. So how many, would you, how many of you would you agree with this statement? Life is chaotic right now. I mean, take a look at your workplace, your home, or just about anywhere these days. If you keep life in order all the time, you are an unusual person because that's not the case for many people, right? I mean, chaos is crazy these days. So that leads me to the next question. What should characterize the church of Jesus Christ when she gathers for corporate worship? This brings us to 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40, and the topic of corporate, corporate worship. I want to remind you of the context in just a minute, but I also want to say what that disclaimer says on your sermon outline this morning. The disclaimer is this, that by preaching this sermon, I am not saying that corporate worship on Sunday morning is the only time that you worship. If it is, you have sadly missed what worship really is. Worship should be happening Monday through Sunday. Uh, this is just one portion of it. This should be, you know, I look at Sunday morning worship as the slingshot. You've been through a long week. Some of you have had craziness that has happened. Most of us have had craziness that has happened over this past week. And so what you need is a slingshot to shoot you into the week, to give you a boost, to give you a shot of adrenaline, spiritually speaking, to get out there and to do the work that Jesus Christ has asked you to do. And so when I come to Sunday morning, I look to prepare services like that that will catapult you, services and sermons, into the week. And I don't always hit the mark. No pastor ever does, 100% of the time. But that's the goal. But if worship stops on Sunday morning, we've missed it. And so I just wanted to throw that disclaimer out because I don't want anyone walking out of this church service this morning saying, Pastor Brett says that the only day we need to worship is, is Sunday morning services and during corporate worship. No, you should have individual worship times. You should have times where you are worshiping the Lord. And worship doesn't always involve music either. Devotions can be worship. Reading a scripture can be worship. So anyway, the, the Corinthians are obsessed with this thing called the gift of tongues. Paul addresses this issue in chapters 12 through 14. And in chapters 12 through 13, he lays a foundation for spiritual gifts. And then in chapter 14, he deals specifically with the gifts of prophecy and tongues. Now, some of you are going to wish that I go deeper today. I will tell you that right now. Some of you are going to wish that I would come out and say some things that I probably am not going to say this morning. But listen, hear his words this morning. The Corinthians' zeal for tongues led to disorderly conduct in their worship. In case you are new to the church or new to the Bible, the Corinthian church is not exactly set in scriptures to show us how to do things most of the time when we preach from Corinthians, it's how not to do things. If I had to do a sermon series on, on Corinthians, I would do the church has gone wild. They come for communion, and instead of eating communion as a, as a, as a special time like we did this morning, they grabbed their entire, they, you know, when I was coming around with the bread or Pastor Landon was coming around with the bread, there would be those in the Corinthian church that would just grab a bunch of pieces of bread and just shove them in their mouths because they were hungry. 
And they were disrespectful to God. And there's other things going on that we're going to read about today, but it's a church that's out of control. And what Paul says to them in chapter 14, verses 26 through 40, is, is powerful. Because it forces Paul to talk about corporate worship. What should characterize corporate worship? Pray for my tongue this morning. Speaking of tongues, have you ever asked this question? That question? You should. I mean, you should really take an interest on what, what am I here to do? And is this just what I do on Sunday morning and... It's just what I do, and, and that's it. Because if it is, oh, friends, you have missed huge. If it's out of rote, just going through the motions, you have missed it. And so we should all ask, what does it character, what should, what should characterize corporate worship? Why? Because we, what we worship and how we worship matters to God. Here's what's really key to this morning's message. I'm probably going to say it more than once, so you might want to write it down. We must worship God on his terms, not our terms. Hmm. And you all have terms flying through your heads right now that you lay down when you come into this place. I do too. I'm human. Better be the songs I like. Prayer better be short and sweet. Better make sure this is done correctly by your definition. Better make sure this has happened. And I wonder sometimes, I just wonder, and it's just my head wondering, and I wonder a lot. Does God sit up in heaven and say, you silly folks? Is that what you really think it's about? Speaking to me. Pastor Brad, do you really think I, a holy God, thinks that's what it's about. So what should characterize corporate worship? According to 1 Corinthians 14, 26 or 40, at least three essential characteristics of corporate worship. The first essential, character, essential characteristic is this. It's edification. It'll be on the screen. It's edification. First, worship must be edifying. Corporate worship must edify. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Landon, Pastor Landon read it for you earlier. When then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Now, Paul here mentions four things that happen in corporate worship. A hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, and an interpretation. According to other texts of Scripture, corporate worship also includes prayer, preaching, reading of Scripture, and the Lord's Supper. Paul's created an ad hoc list here to illustrate his point. What is his point? No matter what happens in corporate worship, it must be done with the idea of building each one of you up. It's got to be done for that reason. Paul comes back to this theme Again and again, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In chapter 13, the point of the chapter 13 is that love should motivate us to use our gifts to edify the body of Christ. Why should we be patient with other people? Because we should love them enough like Christ loved us to edify them and build them up and be patient and not envy and not be jealous. As chapter 13 says, in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, So with yourselves, 
Since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Here's what Paul is driving at, friends. Paul is seeing a theme in the church, and the church is going as far as to say, if you don't speak in tongues, you have an issue. And they are pushing this agenda. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, listen, if you want to talk about speaking in tongues, talk about it all you want. But it's got to be done, it's got to be done to build up the church. It can't be done for any other reason. You all, you, he, this again, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. I'm not speaking to you right now. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. You are all so eager to have this gift. And yet you use this gift to destroy people. Because you are disruptive during worship with it. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church about corporate worship is, is that everything we do starting at 1015 until we get out of here needs to be about edifying you and me. Not destroying us. Christian worship must edify. I asked this question in my notes. Have you ever been edified or built up during church? Don't answer that question because I might be offended, but that's okay. Number one, here's, there have been many times that I've been edified or built up in worship. Just last week, I mentioned one. What did I say last week? We need a reminder. I'll tell you. When I watch people who have lost loved ones come to worship the very next Sunday or Sundays after and sing praise to the Lord, even though they have every reason, humanly speaking, to not, it absolutely edifies me. I'll never forget when my grandmother Kindig passed away. She, Grandma Kindig was my, I, I don't know if you're allowed to have favorite grandmas, and sorry, Mom, this is my dad's mom, but she was my favorite. And the entire church said to me at the time, this was not you, this was another church, just take the Sunday off. She passed away on a Saturday. I didn't. I got in the pulpit, and board members were all upset, like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? You should be home. Because I want to edify you. That even when the worst happens, I'm here. Because I want to build you up. Edification. It edifies me when I watch Pastor Landon here, <laughs> who comes from a place where hymns weren't sung. They weren't. He comes from a church where there was all contemporary music, there was no hymns, and so some of our hymns that you've been singing since childhood are new to Pastor Landon right now. Instead of saying, no, Faith Church needs to change to my edification, He's learned new hymns and has actually been heard said, saying in the office, I didn't tell him I was going to say this, saying in the office, man, that hymn, there are some powerful words in that hymn, Pastor Brett. I know. This whole thing wouldn't work on Sunday morning if he says it's my way or the highway. It edifies me when some of you come and experience things that maybe don't get you all hyped up, like Pastor Landon. But you know it blesses others. So you do it anyway, because you realize there's a bigger picture around here. Those are ways that we can edify one another. Christian worship must edify. 
God has given you a gift for the edification of the body of Christ. What is your gift? How can you use it? When we gather, there's music team. There's other teams listed there for you. There's nursery team. There's greeting team. There's junior church team so that others can worship. Maybe we could start a coffee team so that people can stay awake when we worship. Maybe. Maybe you're not sure what your gift is, and that's okay. We can all do one thing, and Paul mentions it right there in the Scripture. You have a voice box for a reason. Yes, men, even you. You can sing a song, and you say, uh, I don't sound good when I sing songs. Look who you're talking to. You see, I don't sing because I'm singing for people. I'm singing to give him praise, and I'm singing so that you will be edified to sing a little louder. See, the whole thing of I don't have a good voice, so I don't sing, I just kind of stand there and watch your screens fly by. That's because you're not doing it to edify others. It's the truth. I've been there. I've stood here. I've stood here like this during worship. Not singing. Because in my mind, I've convinced myself, well, I, you know, I don't want to butcher it up. But Paul says that each one of us has a hymn implying that we can edify each other by, by singing to each other. By encouraging one another. The second essential characteristic of corporate worship is this. Corship, cor- corporate worship must be orderly. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but in all things should be done decently and in order. With these verses, at the end of chapter 14, Paul concludes his discussion on spiritual gifts. He reminds us to earnestly desire prophecy and not forbid speaking in tongues. Then he exhorts us to worship God decently and in order. And the reason why he does that is because sometimes these gifts can be used in a disorderly way that interrupts worship. And he sets some standards. And he says, listen, if there's going to be speaking in tongues, there's got to be an interpretation because otherwise, why would you speak in tongues? If the goal of speaking in tongues is to build up the church and Pastor Landon jumps up here and he starts rambling off something and he says, I'm speaking in tongues. And I ask the entire congregation, does anybody have an interpretation of this speaking in tongues? He wouldn't do this. But let's say he did and, and, and no one has an interpretation. What good has it done for anybody sitting here? Pastor Landon just went, blah, 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 blah and that's all we heard. There's been no edification. Someone has decided to text me in the middle of service, so I'm going to put my phone back there. Anyway, what we are doing here is is that this is what Paul is seeing. Paul is seeing that, that they have these people standing up during worship and they're saying these tongues and no one knows what the interpretation of the tongue is. So what good is it? It would be like someone coming and speaking from one of our foreign missionary places in Spanish to many of you. Now my wife, she would be able to pick up on pieces and she'd be able to say he was speaking about this. This is what he was talking about. Many of us would be lost. Right? We wouldn't know what we spoke about. And, I'd, and if I knew what Spanish was and, or how to speak Spanish and I got up and I spoke to, and, I, and I said to you afterwards, wasn't that a powerful message? All of you would be like, No. Why not? Why wasn't it power? Because I didn't understand what he said. 
And this is what's going on in the Corinthian church. Paul's trying to lead the service. People are jumping up everywhere. People are leaving. People are getting frustrated. People are saying things. People are talking out aloud. People are doing all this. And Paul says, God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. Look at verses 27 through 35 with me, or the next screen, verses 27 through 28. He says there needs to be orderly tongues. Listen, if anybody speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or three, two or most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Now, why does Paul... Start here. Well, one commentary put it pretty bluntly, and when he says these words, quote, from a commentary, Paul begins with the problem child, tongues. What's he say? He says that two or three can do it, but they must do it in order, not all at the same time. He says it must be done in a specific order. It must be done with interpretation. There must be reason for it to be done. This rebuke implies that everyone in Corinth spoke in tongues at once. Tongues seem to be dominating their gatherings. Furthermore, Paul says that if someone does speak in tongues, there must be an interpretation. If there's no interpretation, here's what he says. Paul says, Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Pastor Brett doesn't say, the Evangelical Congregational Church doesn't say, no one else says it, but Paul says it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, if there's no interpretation, the person should cease doing it. Because it has no good for the body. At the end of verse 28, Paul implies once again that tongues can be a private prayer language when he says, if there is no interpretation, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Paul's point is that the gift of tongues must be practiced in an orderly way so that the body of Christ can be edified. No order means no edification. Not only does he describe orderly tongues, he also describes orderly prophecy. Look at verse 29 with me. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Since prophecy is speaking in merely human words, what God has spontaneously brought to mind, it must be tested or weighed. New Testament prophecy is not the same as Old Testament prophecy. New Testament prophecy is is fallible, not infallible. Verse 29 is one of the best proof texts of this fact. Who are the ones who are weighing what is said? Probably the entire church, led by the leadership of the church. Look at verses 30 through 31 now. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. Paul says, prophesy at one at a time. Neither the tongue speaker nor the prophet is out of control when they do it one at a time. He or she can control their their facility their faculties, and submit to the group. Why do they prophesy? So that all may learn and be encouraged. It's right there in Scripture. Continues in verse 32, And the spirits of prophecy are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Notice in verse 33 that the character of God must be reflected in the character of our worship. We become like the thing we worship. And so what God wants is God wants an order of worship. That's why we put one in every week. People say, well, why did we put that in? What's that all about? What's, you know, why do you do that? It's biblical. 
this is how we plan on worshiping our God. Not that we can't, you know, stop and pray for someone who's going through a hard time. Not that we can't have hiccups in, those, in that order of worship. However, the issue is, is that it must be orderly. It must not be out of control because when you're out of control, you are no longer edifying the body. What you're doing is destroying the body. And the Apostle Paul is clear here with prophecy. Christian worship must be orderly. Uh, order edifies. It edifies. It doesn't destroy. Now, I remember one official board meeting I was a part of. I was young. <laughs> Some of you say you still are. That's up for debate, but I was about Landon's age. I was sitting at this board meeting, and there was, there, was, there, was some, there was some tension. We'll leave it at that. There was some tension in the room. I remember the lead pastor trying to, to bring order because he understood this passage, and he said, you know, even in a board meeting when, when, there's, when, there, when we're out of order, we are hurting the body. And so he tried to bring some honor, some, some glory to Christ, and he, he tried to bring the meeting back. And some gentleman, who I won't name this morning, but I remember it like it was yesterday, got so angry at the things that we were discussing, he picked up a chair, and he threw it up against a cinder block wall in the room and told us all off and walked out of the room. It's not very edifying. Maybe what he said was true. And maybe we should have listened to him. But when you're out of control, you're not edifying. I will never forget the picture of that chair flying. Edification begins when we're under control. Are we here to build up or tear down? Then he goes on to a third subject. And before I read this passage of scripture, I actually had Landon stop before he read this because it is the most misconstrued piece of scripture out there. And so if you're of the womanly persuasion this morning, you're going to hear me read these scripture passages and you're going to say to yourself, oh my gosh, just hang on. There's a reason for it. So in verse 33, it says these words, it's orderly women. Here's what he says. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all churches of the saints, the women should keep silent. Play for me now. In the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. How do we understand this difficult passage? Let's look at what other texts say about the topic first. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16. Paul is eager for women to pray and prophesy in the corporate gathering in Corinth. Furthermore, in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it says, And to the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all fleshes, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Daughters. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dream of dreams. Then Acts 21, verse 8 through 9, says, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who did what? They prophesied, holy cow, Philip, you're breaking the rules. Here's what's going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The Apostle Paul is speaking to a church where apparently men are standing up to give prophecy, or let's say, a tongue. 
And instead of doing it in an orderly way, what their wives are doing is their wives are standing up and saying, he's wrong, he's off his rocker. He's an idiot, he doesn't know what he's talking about. This isn't in scripture, but this is what I picture is happening. It would be almost like I'm in the midst of this sermon. Lord, help me if this ever happens. But I'm in the midst of this sermon, and Michelle jumps up from her pew, stay in your seat, honey, and says, this is all bunk. He's not preaching scripture, he's preaching bunk. Y'all should just get out of here because he's not preaching the word of God. That's exactly what was happening in the church of Corinth. The wives weren't sitting there being quiet about it. They were being very disruptive. So while the husband is standing trying to prophesy a prophecy, instead of calling it into question in the privacy of their own home, what the wives were doing was they were standing up in the middle of the worship service and they were saying things like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And they were disrupting worship. And so what they were doing was they were tearing their husbands down. Paul is not saying that if he says a prophecy that is not correct, you don't go and confront him. Paul is saying, be careful where you do it. You know, it's like, it's like someone who, who wants to confront someone and instead of choosing to do it in the privacy of a moment, what do they do? They wait for a crowd of 20 to be around them and they come up to him and if I'm confronting Landon on the way he led worship today, which was perfect, but let's say he didn't lead worship in perfect, in perfection, and I wait for his family and his friends to get around him and I come right up to him and say, you know, Pastor Landon, you really messed up today, buddy. What am I doing? Right at the knees. Got him. Instead of going into his office and saying, Private Landon, you and I need to have a little talk about yesterday. Can we pray about this? See the difference? And what women were doing in the Corinthian church was just screaming out. He's off his rocker. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's an idiot. He doesn't this. He doesn't that. He's not truly doing prophecy. He's not this. He's not that. And what Paul is simply asking them is, listen, listen, would you please not do that during worship? Because here's what's happening. Pure chaos. At church. Which means no one was being edified. People were getting drunk at communion. Several people would speak in tongues and prophesy at once. With no one there to interpret. It was loud. It was noisy. It was chaotic. It was disorderly. And apparently the wives of those that were trying to prophesy were adding to this disorder. Worst of all, the Corinthians boasted in their chaos that they thought it was a sign of great spirituality. Can you imagine? Here's the Corinthian church, and they're standing up, and they're saying, they they almost got their arms around each other, and they're saying, we are the church that's on top of all churches because our worship service boasts chaos. Because we're screaming and hollering and because we're doing all this chaos, because we're doing this and because these wives are doing this and because of all this, guess what we are? We're super spiritual because we have tongues and we have prophecy and we have all this happening and we have all this chaos going on. And meanwhile, the God of order, the God of constructive constructive order stands up there and says, wait, 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 wait. This isn't what I designed. And I know some have gone to these places, and I know that that this is a hard sermon to swallow, but just because it's a hard sermon to swallow, friends, does not make it a wrong sermon. It's by the book. It's because you've been places where this may have happened and you said, I did experience God 
God can do wonderful things in all aspects. But what the book of Corinthians is saying is, listen, friends. Chaos can get out of control. When the Holy Spirit is really at work in a worship service, he brings order and peace, not chaos and strife. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Furthermore, when the Holy Spirit is at work in our worship bringing order, he brings order through reverence and submission. People submit to one another. How did they submit in 1 Corinthians 14? Paul was asking them to submit. He was saying, listen, if you have a tongue on your tongue, (laughs) that's confusing, but you get it. If you have a tongue on your tongue and Landon is already speaking in tongues, could you please just be quiet until he finishes and then speak in tongues as long as it's not the 20 different people speaking at one time because that is chaos and that's not of God? So you are to submit yourselves to the person who is doing the prophesying and the tongue speaking and the other things? And wives, yes, you are to submit to your husband. And husbands, lest you think you get off easy because, hey, she's supposed to submit to me. You're supposed to love her like Christ loved the church. How are you doing with that one? See, a lot of us, you know, we say, yeah, honey, you see that? You're supposed to submit to me. You're supposed to give her your everything, your life. We don't get off easy. In fact, many times I think we get off harder when you really look at how much Christ loved the church. At Faith Church, the worship team members submit to the worship leader The other team members submit to the team leaders. The nursery workers submit to the nursery coordinator. This creates order and glorifies God. Can you imagine if we had nursery workers? This would be a great problem to have. But if we had nursery workers that were arguing about what day they were going to go down into the nursery, and we had 15 people fighting down there right now in the basement about who's going to be in the nursery, why is that not good? Why is that not good? Some people think, well, that's, that's, there's no problem with that. There's a huge problem with that. It's called division. And God doesn't deal with it. He doesn't want it. Submission is a huge part of this. Can you imagine a team leader who doesn't submit to the bigger picture of the church to edify the church? Who just does what they want to do and doesn't care about what the bigger church member is? Or the bigger church picture is? There's an issue. That's what the Apostle Paul is driving home here. Orderly worship is one of the keys to edifying worship. Maybe you're wondering how we should order our worship. This brings us to that final point. Here's what he says in the third essential characteristic of corporate worship is regulation. Worship must be regulated. Regulated by what? The Word of God. 1 Corinthians 14.36 says these words, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you only ones it has reached? Now Paul has a bit of a sarcastic tone here. Listen to what he's really saying. I'll put it in language of 2021. Corinthians, you're acting as if the word of God in regard to spiritual gifts and worship was sent directly to you, bypassing everyone else. Therefore, you think you can ignore all the things in here and all that I taught you about these topics. Wow. Do you think somehow he sent this to you and you have a better take of it than everybody else so you can just do what you want to do and don't care about what the other people are doing? Here's what Paul's doing. Paul's, and he's so good at it. Paul's doing, what Paul's doing is Paul's saying to the Corinthian church, I've nailed your problem, folks. 
You want to know why you get drunk when you come to communion? You want to know why the women dress in the ways that the women dress so that the people look at them instead of looking at the people that they're, that they're worshiping with and looking at Jesus Christ? You want to know why you have tongue issues? You want to know why you have prophecy issues? Because somehow you think this book came to you and you got a handle on it and no one else can tell you any differently. And so in essence, what Paul's saying to the Corinthian church is just put this away. Why do you need it? You got it licked. Do your thing. Or was it from you that the word of God came? And I already covered that part. In 1 Corinthians 14, 37 through 38, here's what it says. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Paul tells the Corinthians that if they are truly as spiritual as they think they are, they should probably realize that this is coming from the word of God, not from his lips to you. You make your spirituality about tongues and prophecies and about this chaos that's in your worship service and you leave the most important part out of it. And Paul says, without a tremor, I believe, in his voice, he says to them, or not even a stitch of a stop of the pen, he writes, I really hope you get that this is from the Word of God. This isn't about Pastor Brett, the Apostle Paul, or anybody else who wrote it. This is the Word of God. And he actually goes as far to say, you, you can read it for yourself, if anyone does not recognize this, does not recognize that it comes from the, from the command of the Lord, he says he's not recognized. Whew. Paul was aware of the fact that his written words as the apostle of Jesus Christ had the authority of Jesus Christ. Therefore, failure to submit to those commands that Paul wrote about was a failure to submit to Christ's commands on worship. Simple fact is, is to disobey the Bible is to disobey God. Paul is arguing that his words are the authority for Corinthian worship because his words are Christ's words, not his own. Here's the point for the Corinthians. Paul's words inspired by the Holy Spirit needed to regulate their worship. They needed to. Paul's words needed to stop the nonsense. To bring the church that was out of control back into control. I'm not going to take time, but throughout Scripture we, give, we are given reasons of things that happen. And we are given that we must regulate our worship as well. The entire New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit must regulate what we worship as well. On the back of your sermon outline, there are things that are spoken about in worship I'm not going to take time to jump onto those today because I don't have the time to take. But I will say that they are the things that the Holy Spirit has said needs to be a part of our corporate worship in the new covenant. In April, it's tax season. Don't remind me, right? How many of you love taxi? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> not that anybody would. Taxes make me think of the IRS, and the IRS makes me think of laws. And the IRS has created an incredibly complicated set of laws to regulate how we pay our taxes. And it's even more complicated for pastors. Is it wise to ignore those laws? No. 
My taxes are especially complicated, so I hire a CPA, she's known as my sister, to file my taxes for me. Why? Because she took time to study the law, to know the ins and outs, so that when they come a-knocking, they can't find any loops. I want to make sure I follow all of those regulations. I want to make sure that I make sure that I am double-checking what the IRS says I'm allowed to do and what I'm not allowed to do. I want to be on top of that game. And so I trust my sister to go to all the continuing ed events she needs so that she can figure this all out. Here's the point. It's not wise to ignore the IRS's regulations. We've had pastors that have done it and now owe them millions of dollars and are looking at jail time. It's not wise to ignore the Bible's regulations on worship either. Sure, you may not be looking at millions of jail time, but someday you will be looking at Savior that you came here to worship every Sunday morning in the eyes. Did you follow the regulations? Did you do what he asked you to do? Or didn't you? May I say that we should be as scared of the IRS as, or as scared of God in the sense of a fear of the Lord as we are of the IRS come knocking on our doors asking us to show receipts. And I think what has happened, and it's a tragedy in the American church, is we've somehow downplayed Judgment Day. We've watered it down. He's just going to tap us on the back and say, go your merry way. It's not the Bible I read. It's time to get serious. We must worship God on his terms, not ours. When it comes to worship, we want to focus on the thing that God tells us to do in worship. Under the new covenant, the word of God specifically commands us to do some things that, again, are on the back of your sermon outline. The five things listed there are the things Christians need to focus on. They are commanded in Scripture. We want to focus on things that are commanded in Scripture, this is why we don't do certain things and do other things. When our worship is regulated by the word of God, it is orderly, which leads to edification of the saints, or it should. Worship must be edifying. Worship must be orderly. Worship must be regulated. But why do we worship? Well, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because your sins are forgiven, because he shed his blood and broke his body. And how do I know that that's the reason why? Because we're not going to take the time to do this, but if you just stay in your Bibles for a little longer and read the first section of 1 Corinthians 15, it's exactly what it talks about right after it gives you regulations for worship. Huh, I wonder why the Holy Spirit did that. Because the Holy Spirit wanted to wake us up and say, you want a reason to worship? It's not because your pastor's perfect. It's not because your ministry council's perfect. It's not because your church is perfect. It's because he's perfect. And he died for your sins. And he shed his blood for you. And he says it right after he lays some regulations down for us and says, listen, you better be orderly about it and you better be unified about it. This, unified about this. One commentary goes as far to say that the first thought on our minds as pastors should not be, are the TVs working correctly? Are the spotlights on? Whatever else. The first the first thought that every church member should have and every pastor should have when they come into this place is, am I unified on this? Because if you can't even be unified on this, friends, you are destroying this place. I 
I'm not talking, are you unified on this or this or that or this or this or that or the 20 other things or the bylaws that are going to be changed? Are you unified on this? Because if you're not, you have to start there. Because it's going to drive you crazy until you get there. I'm most angry when I'm not unified on that. I'm most selfish when I'm not unified on that. I'm most not a pastor when I'm unified, not unified on that. You can call it whatever else you want to call it. You can say whatever else it is. I'm telling you, it starts here. Paul says it. So the question that this passage of Scripture leaves us with is this. Are you building up or tearing down? Because here's the deal, friends. It's a hard deal to swallow. We're doing one or the other. We are. And sometimes we flip from week to week. And so what I would like to suggest is, is that every week before you come here, Saturday night, Sunday morning, are you unified on this? You may not be unified on the songs we sing. You may not be unified on the length of the pastor's sermon. You may not be unified on whatever else. But you better be unified on this. Because if you're not, you're doing the exact opposite of what the Apostle Paul has asked of us. And we're doing one or the other. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the strong words of the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Lord, that he was willing to look at the Corinthian church and say, Corinthian church, you've got to get this together. Thank you, Lord, for the points that you have given to him so that we then can learn from them. Thank you, Lord, for in 1 Corinthians 15, pointing us to the, to the, to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Reminding us that our faith is not based on a book of the Bible. Our faith isn't even based on the Bible itself. It's based on the fact that Jesus Christ came out of the grave. We can't find a grave where Jesus is. And because of that point, Lord, you have given us hope. Even in a world that falls short of all that you have given to it. I pray, Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 